0: So it's Mother's Day, and I've been talking about (laughs) battles and fights (laughs) and what it means to be part of this not-so-secret service. (laughs) And today I'm talking, as we continue this series, about hand-to-hand combat. And this morning when I woke up, I had this little crisis, like, oh, my goodness, it's Mother's Day. It's supposed to be this soft and tender mother-celebrating day, and we're talking about hand-to-hand combat. (laughs) Yeah, but it didn't take long (laughs) to realize that the correlation there is perhaps stronger than we realize, right? Because moms are on the front end of a battle, as our parents, for the sake of our children, and as we get older, those that we have to stand in the gap for and offer some kind of parenting to. So we've been talking through this series that when God grabs a hold of us and God calls us, he calls us to a not-so-secret service. We have a clear mission to love the world. We have a uniform, a dress code that we must wear of righteousness and truth and faith grounded in the word of God. We talked last week about how in this not-so-secret service we must surround ourselves with the right kind of detail and we must be the right kind of detail to others. But I want to wrap up this series today by talking about one of the hard parts of being involved in this kind of service. And that's that there are times when we have to engage in hand to hand combat. Because we don't have to be alive very long to know that there is a very real enemy who prowls around looking for someone to devour. I'm not talking about some caricatured devil with little red horns. We're talking about the force of evil. Let me remind you that people aren't evil as much as they are victims of the evil one. That our call is to love those who persecute us, to love those who are evil towards us, because the evil that they extend is because they are victims of the evil one. So hand-to-hand combat against our enemy who is always prodding, always provoking, always trying to trip us up. I'm not really into all the fights and the pay-per-view boxing things. But this one that we're going to read about today, I'd have loved to have seen that one. Because the more mature I get in the faith, the more I get excited about the sure and certain demise of our evil one. Because the havoc that he wrecks, is so ridiculously costly. I would love to have seen this battle. It's found in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus goes hand to hand with the adversary, Satan. As we talk through this scripture, two things. First of all, it's important to realize that Jesus fought this battle not in his divinity, but in his humanity. Jesus fought this battle not in the heavenlies, but here on earth. And so secondly, if he as a man can fight the enemy so can we. And there are some principles in this story that I think if we can grasp, we can do a better job of being victorious over this force of evil that is so prevalent in the world. There are five things I want to highlight today. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Immediately... Immediately, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very, very hungry. The verse starts off by saying, immediately, which asks the question, immediately after what? What? What had happened in chapter 3 is that Jesus had been baptized. That at about 30 years of age, Jesus was finally starting to come into that purpose for which, had God, for which God has sent him from heaven. This baptism was an incredibly special baptism. He had his friend, John, conduct it, everybody was watching, and as he goes under the water, and as he comes out, he hears this voice, everybody hears this voice, this is my son, with him I am well pleased, I love him, imagine If you hear that word of affirmation from God, this is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. That has got to be one of the, the highest highs, right? To be affirmed by God in that way. Yet immediately after that, he's led into the wilderness. I think the first thing that we need to grasp if we're going to defeat this evil in the world is that we need to realize that we are often most vulnerable to his attacks when we think that we are at our highest places. When things are going really, really well, that's when we're most vulnerable. Well, we tend to think that we're most susceptible to temptation when things are going wrong and when things are going bad and in the low moments of life, not at all. We are most vulnerable before our enemy when things are going well. The first thing that I think we need to understand if we want to have victory over this enemy is that we need to be very, very wary When things are going well in life, that's not to not enjoy it. That's not to not be grateful for it. But it's a reminder not to become arrogant about it. Because when we're at our most high, the enemy has a bigger target to take down. I see this in my soccer world all the time. Happens with the pros. And it happens with my U10s. Happened this past Saturday night, yesterday, the Saturday before. My team that I'm coaching, um, we're a great team. They've been coached well. <laughs> and we're playing this team who is absolutely terrible. And by some stroke of chance, this other team takes the lead in the first couple of minutes. And I'm like, you're kidding me. And we spend the next 20 minutes fighting back. We equalize it's like, okay, good. Finally, the world is getting the way it should be because I coach you better than this. And we go over the field again and we score, and it's 2 1 to us. And our players are kind of trotting back, celebrating because they think the hard work's done. The ball is on the center spot. The referee blows the whistle. The other team runs right to the other end, just like that. It was like the parting of the Red Sea, and they score. And I'm like, you're kidding me. Because when we're at our most confident, When we're at the height, we're actually also at the most vulnerable. Happens in kids, it happens in pros, it happens in life, right? At that moment when we think we've beaten it, the enemy delights to bring us down. Be very, very wary when we hit the heights. Immediately, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Does this sound a little bit strange to anyone? That Jesus was led into this place of temptation. He was led into the place of hardship by the Spirit. You know, there are are two ways that we get into the wilderness. One is that we are led by God into difficult places. The other is that we put ourselves there. You know, you, you, you've all probably heard uh, some people say, oh, I'm feeling persecuted for my faith. I'm really in a wilderness right now. I guess God's got me in a wilderness. And you say, well, tell me about that. And you know, they're telling you, and you think, no, 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 that's just your stupidity that's put you in a wilderness. <laughs> you're not being persecuted for doing something right. You're being persecuted because you're an idiot, right? <laughs> Stop it, right? But there are times as well when our good God leads us into difficult wildernesses. And we ask about that, what's going on? Why would the God who loves us so much lead us into difficult places? And I think a lot of the answer revolves around this word, tempted. You see, this word Tempted, as we understand it, is a very nuanced word in the scripture. It means, uh, it's called perizine, which means, as we understand, tempted. But in its verb form, as it's used here, it becomes perizo, which has a completely different meaning that doesn't talk about tempting with an evil end. It talks about being tested with a good end. What's happening here is that this same word, depending on how it's used, can talk to temptation which leads us away from God, or it talks about testing that leads us towards God. As Matthew says, the Spirit led him to be tempted, a much more accurate translation is that the Spirit led him to be tested. To help him strengthen his faith to help him prepare for what God had for him. Testing is not meant to make us sin, but make us good. Testing is supposed to strengthen us, while temptation is supposed to weaken us. Testing comes to the one that God wishes to use. Satan wanted to tempt Jesus to sin, but the initiative here was always with God. One commentator I was reading this week said this paragraph, rather than be called the temptation of Jesus, should much more accurately be called the testing of Jesus. Jesus. You see, the enemy moves in the realm of temptation, but God's love moves in the realm of testing. There's a story of Joseph in the Old Testament. He's a good man. He's a faithful man. He's a little bit irrational at times, but he has a hard life until God kind of brings it all around. And as he's summing up his life, He says, what the enemy intended for evil, God intended for good. That's exactly what is happening here. And so here's what I would encourage you to do when the the battle gets gets strong. Acknowledge that God is in control and then reframe the battle, not as a temptation, but as a test. It's real easy to fail a temptation, but it's also really easy to pass a test. Trusting that God is in control, trusting that it is the spirit that leads us into difficult places. Let's reframe our temptations as tests. When we see them as tests, we find a strength to win. When we see them as tests, we develop a resolve to beat them. When we see temptations as a test, it forces us to trust God more. I think the second thing that we can learn from this battle, this hand to hand combat that Jesus and the devil are having, and not just be wary when we hit the heights but determine between what's a temptation and what's a test. Here's the deal. If we can trust God, our temptations become tests, and they become a whole lot more winnable. Immediately, the Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came and said to him, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. Now this desert, this wilderness was lifted with these little limestone rocks that in the right light and maybe under the right conditions could look like little pieces of bread. But Jesus says, no, 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 I'm not going to cheat the process because my father gives me something better than what any bread roll would give me. Maybe the bread roll would fill my stomach for a little while, but his word and his truth, it fills my soul forever. I think the thing about this temptation, though, is not this temptation about food and hunger in his stomach. It comes in the first word that the enemy says. He says, if you are the son of God, then do that. Remember where Jesus has just come from? He's come from his baptism, where God has looked down from heaven and said, you are my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. In that moment, God, in the most profound way, is affirming Jesus' identity. He's saying, you are mine. I love you with an unbreakable love. And by the way, I am so proud of you. Every son needs to hear words of pride from their father. It's part of how we're wired. In the same way, I imagine that every lady needs to hear words of love from their mother because it shapes your identity. So here's Jesus clear on who he is, and the enemy comes to him and throws the seed of doubt and says, if. If you are the son of God, if what your father said about you was true, if, 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 if the enemy deals in doubt, that's how he works. We lose so many of our battles because we start to doubt. If we want to win our battles, don't start to doubt. If we want to win our battles, shore up and remember our identity in Christ. Because we have been adopted into God's family, right? When we are baptized, there is a very real sense in which God looks down at us and says, you are my child whom I love with you. I am well pleased. Here's the deal. If we get our identity worked out, the enemy cannot touch us because all the enemy has is if, if you are the son of God, if you are good enough for us, if you've been forgiven, if, 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 it's how the enemy works. The best way to defeat the enemy is to draw closer to Jesus. Because as we draw close to him, and we realize who we are in Him. Those if questions are easily exposed as lies. This hand-to-hand comeback. Be wary when we hit the heights. Determine between tests and temptations. But don't ever, ever listen to the ifs about your identity. I was uh, teaching, not teaching. I was judging a civics class at the middle school this week and um, we timed it just perfectly or perfectly wrong that I was leaving the classroom just as the end of day bell went, right? And I'm walking down the stairs and all of a sudden there's this stampede of hundreds of middle schoolers, right? And I, and I, I just couldn't kind of like I just had to step to the side and just let it happen all around me. And I'm looking at these kids, and I'm thinking, man, here are people who are crying out for an identity. The things they were wearing, the things they were saying, the way they're relating to their friends. It was say, please, please tell me I'm someone special. Man and the enemy has a field day with that because there's ample opportunity for if. If we can get our identity in Christ down, we are his children. We are loved. He is proud of us. Then no if formed against us can stand. That was the first temptation. Second one, verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city, to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scripture says he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. The highest point of the temple was probably about 450 feet uh, high. Uh, On the backside of it was this big drop into the Kidron Valley. And whether the enemy kind of took him there physically or, or, or spiritually, we don't know, but I mean, 450 feet is pretty high. And he offers this temptation that that comes from Scripture. And maybe there's a moment where Jesus kind of came to the edge and looked down. But he didn't jump. Not because he didn't trust God, but because he understood the whole of Scripture. And so he says... But the scripture also says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Here's the, the, the fourth thing. I just got, got one more after this left that I think we need to understand if we want to uh, overcome evil and win this hand-to-hand combat is that we need to read the whole of scripture, not just part of scripture. Unfortunately, somehow, for some reason, we live in a day where much of the church has become uh, keen on soundbites towards the Scripture. And when you make Scripture a soundbite, you can use that soundbite for whatever purpose you want. We can justify anything. And honestly, history is littered, By circumstances and situations, by people who have caused incredible pain because they have taken the scripture out of context. The enemy says, Hey, here's a piece of scripture, it must be right. But Jesus says it's not wrong, but you got to put it in the whole context of scripture. The fourth thing I would say if you want to win this battle is always default to a scripture that is affirmed by another scripture, right? That's the great thing about, about scripture. It's not just a verse, it's, it's a book. And, and it's a book that, that has truth all the way wrapped around it. There, there, are, there are no contradictions in this book. People who say there are contradictions are not reading the whole book. You got to understand the whole book if you're going to if you're going to quote scripture, but you gotta understand the whole premise if we're gonna defeat the works of the enemy, right? Soundbite scripture. Sometimes it's more dangerous than no scripture. Not giving you a pass to stop doing your devotions. I'm encouraging you to raise the bar on your devotions. If we want to defeat evil, if we want to defeat the enemy, we have to know the whole narrative. Scripture also say you must not test the Lord your God. Jesus wins that fight in the battle. Verse 8, thirdly, next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. He says, I'll give it to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. (laughs) I think at this point, if you've persevered in the battle this long, Satan's getting desperate. That this is such a a, a a stupid tactic of the enemy, yet we fall for it over and over again. Hey, hey, Jesus, look at this, man! All this and all this glory will be be yours. We're told that we have three enemies: the the world, the flesh, and the devil. All things that we, we lust after. And, and and the enemy said, hey, you gotta, you got you lust after this, Jesus, it can all be yours. But the enemy has been so desperate on so many levels. But mainly because this stuff he offered to Jesus wasn't his to offer anyway. He, he, he just Sabotaged it, stolen it for what will turn out to be a short period of time. So Jesus, I'll give you everything in the world. (laughs) Well, did you create it? No. (laughs) It's not yours to to give. If you kneel down and worship me, you know that was how, how Satan was revealed. Uh, you know, Satan, this fallen angel, always wanted to be worshipped, and now he reveals himself. Hey, I, I just want someone to worship me. You know, we we talk about um, being strengthened in our identity because that uh, keeps us from the enemy. You know, the enemy has a huge identity problem. He's so desperate he doesn't know who he is. That that was part of what he forsake when he, when he came down from heaven. Forsake when he came down from heaven. So I just want someone to worship me. I just want someone to like me. And Jesus is unto him, so he says these words, verse ten: "Get out of here, Satan! Just quit trying." Jesus told him. For the Scripture says, "You must worship the Lord your God and serve only Him." Each time Jesus comes back with Scripture, we got to know the Scriptures. Verse eleven. Then the devil went away, and the angels came. And they took care of Jesus. I think the final thing that I would say about this last temptation is that we must let our love of God trump the lusts of life. Here's Jesus, he's on his high place, everything that the world has to offer. It's glimmering, it's shining, it's sparkling. Satan says, have it. But Jesus says, I'm not really interested in the lusts of this world because I belong to something infinitely better than this unending cycle of lust. I belong to an eternal God who loves me desperately and who loves me passionately and who has prepared a place for me in heaven. The battle is real. It was for Jesus, but he fought it as a human. And if we're honest, these same kind of temptations, these same kind of battles come at us every which way. But here's the deal. We win. We win ultimately, but we can win now. I think this scripture reminds us that we got to be wary when we hit the heights. I think it's helpful if we can determine between that which is a temptation and that which is a test. Let's view it as a test to win rather than a temptation that is going to destroy us. I think we win if we say, I'm not going to listen to the ifs and we lean into our identity in Christ. I think we win if we move away from this idea that scripture is a soundbite and we let scripture affirm scripture. And I think we win when we choose to love God More than we do the lust of the world. It's interesting that Jesus let all this stuff play out before he put his foot down and said, Get out of here. Some of us have let this battle play out too long. We've listened to the ifs. We've been beaten up by the temptation. Perhaps we've even lost. Perhaps for some of us, it's time to put our foot down and say, get out of here. I'm done. Not because I'm quitting, not because I've lost, but because I've won, and I just don't want to fight this battle anymore. How do we fight the battle? We draw close to Jesus. He protects our vulnerability. He turns temptations into tests that strengthen us. He under- underpins our identity. So that the ifs just bounce off us. He calls us deeper to read the whole story so that we can love God, love Him more than the lusts of this world. Here's the deal get out of here, Satan. Get out of here. Because I'm with Jesus.